Welcome to The Spawn Chunks, episode number 192 for Monday, May 9th, 2022. My name is Joel Duggan, and joining me as always is my submerged and symmetrical friend Johnny, but you might know him better as Pixelref. Hello, sir. Hello. <laughs> yes, uh, the, the, more on that later. Uh, in the meantime, happy three stacks of episodes. Um, we're <laughs> episode 192, which is one of those numbers that always pops out at me as a milestone because of minecraft numbers uh yeah tune in for episode 256 in i guess another year and a bit (laughs) but um (laughs) in the meantime we've been having a fantastic chat in the render distance about the stuff that inspires us in minecraft and other stuff outside of that other other brick building hobbies like lego Uh, i've been exploring more of elden ring and getting some fantastic inspiration from some of that if you're interested in hearing more about what joel and i chat about before we start recording the podcast you can hear the render distance by signing up to our patreon at patreon.com slash the spawn chunks there's also a few upcoming patron events we've got the monthly minecraft hangout coming at the end of the uh end of the month here pretty soon so uh, excited to chat to people more about what they've been inspired to do in minecraft lately and we often talk about minecraft in the post show like sometimes the things that don't fit in the main discussion in our uh you know discussion later on in the show ends up bleeding over into the the after party we'll call it in the yes. render distance so depending on your interests there's there's something for everyone in the render distance yeah there's usually the odd listener email that creeps in there as well the stuff that we don't have time to get to in the main show or yeah just extended thoughts on the discussion topic it's always a good time uh how are things going on the citadel what's new this week so i have switched over this week from the planning various um we'll call them like wireframes and street views and all that kind of stuff and i've started to st- uh, pick out permanent um block selections trying to sort out shapes uh and what's we're looking for like connections between the buildings if that makes sense like sometimes Mm -hmm. a door like sometimes you want a building to be on its own and sometimes it's really cool to have a door that actually connects two buildings and sometimes it's for no other reason other than just like it just kind of makes sense yeah for you as a player interstitial spaces and liminal spaces that kind of stuff yeah yeah so trying to get those solid you know like i want uh i want things to kind of come down uh in in a way that makes sense uh i'm leaning into happy accidents and sometimes you have to accept things that are just kind of going to be troublesome <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> or sacrifice things uh which i'll get into in just a second um but the the main build i've switched over to like now i'm rather than kind of covering the entire area i'm now focusing on just one one bit uh there is a, a stone wharf that i've called a toltaberry wharf uh that is just between uh the west gate and the uh the keep in uh in my area and it's one of those things where uh i've taken inspiration again from lego to bring it back to like render distance comments uh and toltaberry wharf is the name of a uh build a my own creation build by tolto meja uh, a creator that has uh taken i think a year to put together a very cool looking lego wharf now mine is only inspired by i'm not kind of building it you know like block for block because i um there's some things that scale just don't work for in minecraft with the scale that i'm working at and there's also some considerations for like getting in up into my my town is a different way than the way that they did it in in their builds but uh the wharf that i've got going on has like three stone towers two of which have an archway that serves as the entryway 
you know, to the wharf or to the town square, depending on how you're looking at it. There's a couple of wharf buildings. There's uh, an extension on the wharf. There's like both wood and stone. I've got the canal, which is the runoff from the moat that comes down, goes underneath the square and then comes out. That's the part that I had to sacrifice. I had a really cool open canal. And because I didn't like the way that my original towers were set up, they were exactly um, perpendicular to one another. Uh, and I had to move them offset by by two blocks. So the archway is not a straight archway. It's actually got an angle. Uh, it actually moves it over two blocks over the course of its um, span. And it just makes it look more interesting. And it also serves as a better entrance into the town square. You felt very cornered when it was a, a straight build. It was mm -hmm. easy to make, but it felt kind of like tight and awkward. Uh, and so this way, when you go underneath it, you tend to face more the right way when you enter the town square. So I've gone over everything uh, in terms of filling in the blocks, choosing the blocks that I want to use permanently. What I haven't done is uh, is like the texture pass. You know, like I haven't gone and added like little brick details and gradients and I haven't sorted out the, the final textures at the top of the towers and uh, nothing inside is done. So like the warehouse and the dock master's place, they're just empty inside. I, don't, I haven't done that. There's nothing on the dock. Like I have every intention of putting like, you know, my, my note block is going to create texture my um you know i'm gonna put barrels and i'm gonna make big barrels and big crates that have like multi-block you know combinations you can do cool things with signs and mm -hmm. you know um log blocks and things and so i'm really looking forward to getting those details in but it's been a nice shift from this kind of broad overview to um working on this and i think this is the first time that i've done like the entire half of a town in wireframe first I was doing like, you know, two or three buildings at a time with wireframe before, but it's been really cool to be able to look through the archway when you're standing on the stone dock and it actually perfectly frames the prismarine tower that's in the distance. Nice. And yeah. And so no matter where you are in this section of town, there's like 12 different roof lines that you can see and it's, it's working out really, really well. Uh, so I'm looking forward to putting that final polish on it. Like I've got plans to change we'll call it the deck of the wharf. I'm not sure what exactly would be the right term for it, but right now it's all just stone brick, which is the same as the rest of the roads. And I want to make it something different. It's going to be stone, but it's going to be like, you know, maybe smooth stone and andesite or I want it to be something slightly different than what it is right now. So it stands out. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's, it's come together nicely and it's been nice to kind of like slow down a bit and, you know, not be just putting up roofs and, and standing back and just like taking the time to choose some block selections. Surprise that stripped jungle logs are in this mm -hmm. <laughs> like, along with some, some bone blocks. So um, trying to push some, some color choices. I'm not going for like bright colors yet. The nice thing about this particular area to start is that it is connected to both the fancy new side of town and the stone keep and the older stuff. So I can kind of gradually start to add more color and detail. I don't have to go like, okay, now I have to go completely ham with this and make it look ornate and crazy cool. I can kind of work my way up to that because I I don't have that in my back pocket. Like it's there's more research I have to do um, before I have more of those tools to to really do a good job on the other buildings. So I'm going to work my way up to that. Would you recommend wireframing way more? of the project first like it, does it feel palpably different and and better to you to be working with like wireframes for 12 13 structures as opposed to just two or three at a time absolutely yeah yeah i, I think yeah it um 
No, and knowing that the wireframes are also not permanent, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, like yeah. if you get to it and you realize, ah, okay, I like the height of this roof, but if I want this build to look this way and this build to look this way, I've got to move this a block to the left. Yeah. Or I have to, uh, you know, keep the right height, but change the angle of the gable or like, um, what's another thing that's happened recently? Well, there, there's a building there on the left where past Joel really painted future Joel into a corner because he didn't finish how the roof's connected mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and which building was separate. So I had to adjust something. I had to raise the second floor of one of the buildings up by a block uh, just to kind of make my life easier. And um, one of the things that I was doing was going inside. And before I was working on the outside of these buildings, I would be roughing out like, where's the staircase to the second level if it has a second level? If it doesn't have a second level, it's not a big deal. But um, you're also looking inside. It's like, okay, well, is this going to be a shop? Because this is four by five inside and that is too small. You know, like this, you know, I need to like knock down a wall or rethink how I'm going to do this. Maybe the what's next door should be the shop because that's the one that's nine by seven inside and I can do Mm -hmm. a lot more with that. So those kind of considerations, they're a lot easier to adjust when you do the the wireframing but i think the thing that that is most fulfilling about it is you can really get a sense of where you're going because and this might be unique to me just as an artist but like i can look at at a sketch and kind of like know what it's going to look like like in my mind finished and or know what kind of space it's going to take up so like i can look at that tower and the really peaky roof next to it even though it's completely see-through and you can see the mountain behind it, I can visualize what that's going to look like when it's all filled in. And it really helps when you're taking the time to fill in these buildings that I'm working on now, looking at the stuff behind them and go like, Ooh, I'm going to add like an extra block to this roof to make sure that when you're standing on the wharf, it passes the things that are behind it. And so it doesn't end up being like within the silhouette of things behind it. It breaks that silhouette and becomes more interesting. And having those roof lines, even if they're 40, 50 blocks in the distance, knowing where to go past them or not go past them. Like sometimes you're like, oh, this is looking really cool, but it blocks that really nice prismarine tower in the background. So nope. You know, mm-hmm. I've got to think of something different before I make this permanent. I know that I really want that white prismarine thing in the background to be something that's seen a lot, you know, so you make your adjustments. And if I didn't have that white prismarine tower roughed in, like I wouldn't know to make that decision. Sure. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense The the layout of this stuff, sight lines, all of that stuff is important. And if you've got enough of a template for that as possible, then that's usually a good place to start from. And I would say, like, you see a lot of people, it, it is easier to, to see what you're doing if you use wool or concrete, bright colors, you know, reds for this, yellows for that. Um, but I would say transition into going into the blocks you're probably going to use as fast mm-hmm. as possible. Because yeah. if I was looking at a bunch of red and yellow and, and blue stuff in the background, I don't know if I would be as attached to that as I would be like, oh, no, I've chosen Prismarine for that build and it's staying. You know, it's not it's not bright orange and it's like, well, I don't know what that's going to be. Maybe it's not going to be that important. So I, I can see the value of like the top down, like when you're doing just the foundations and you're trying to plan things th- things out when it's all stone or all a couple different types of stone. It be, does become kind of confusing. It's hard to see. Um, same with me with my roofs. All of my roofs are currently either spruce or dark oak. 
in frame because that's just what I had a lot of. Mm-hmm. And it does get a little bit muddy from the top down when you're trying to figure out, okay, well, where does this roof end and where's the other one start? And so I'm only finding out now where the edges of things are as I'm changing roofs to like deep slate tile or, you know, whatever other block I might use. So I, I would suggest trying to use like a close proximity to what it might end up being. Are my buildings going to be diorite? No, but at least stone diorite is similar to like the other stones in the area. It's not, you know, yellow wool or concrete or something. Yeah, yeah. It, do- it doesn't look completely out of place and kind of take you out of the flow that you're in while trying to work with a, a medieval style. It makes sense. Um, well, speaking of Prismarine... Uh, <laughs> there we is, go. Yeah, this is, this is going to make a lot of sense to anybody who's seen uh, what I've been up to lately. I've been working on a Guardian farm uh, in a single-player world, so it's taken me a while. It was probably about a 15 to 20-hour project, and that's because I drained the perimeter this time. I wanted to go the whole hog with it, drain a circular perimeter, which was only 82 blocks wide. Sounds like a lot, but people do a lot more. Um, but it was just wide enough on the diameter that the edges of the foundation of the monument touched basically four corners of the circle, if that makes sense. Like the four corners of it touched the edges of the circle in exactly the same place on each curve. And so it was a pretty straightforward feat of engineering from there had to drain it with sand and sponges i started doing a method that i'd heard a couple of people suggest where you grow uh nether trees up from the bottom of it and it fills in the rooms inside the monument with nether foliage with nether warp blocks and warped wart and i did that for a little while and thought this probably isn't going to work out for me like honestly if i could go back and do it again i would leave that out of the equation because i had a stack of sponges and Honestly, removing all of the fiddly little sections where one water source or two or three were just left behind in the mass of nether warp blocks that it hadn't grown in and filled out those gaps was more annoying, I think, than having to try and clear an entire room using sponges. So maybe not the best approach, systematically speaking. Uh, But once I got that done, I flattened the entire monument down to the base layer then built a custom guardian farm using soul sand columns. The guardians, uh, you know, rise up to the top of that very quickly, get piped along a central shaft, and then fall down through lava to soften them up as they fall. And it can either be switched on or off, depending on whether you want it to be AFK or player kill. You just need to put a water source at the bottom of it, basically, so that the guardians congregate in one place to kill them. And I'm very glad that I've got this done, because it gives me access to all of the prismarine blocks and also felt like kind of a milestone big farm project for the series that i'm doing so really happy how that this one came out and this is the submerged and symmetrical uh build that joel was talking about earlier because yeah i'm really happy with the way the design came out it kind of reminds me of like cooling towers or something like that that are just feeding into the central thing they're full of water we've got a bunch of different colored glass kind of keeping it in a an ocean theme in general and i was yeah really happy how it turned out it reminds me of a water-cooled pc yeah that that's kind of the what i was feeling about it yeah it's, yeah it's got that vibe to it all right i know in your video you were talking about using the cod that you get from guardians and trading it with villagers as a potential uh 
source for emeralds. Mm-hmm. Do you, are you concerned at all with getting cooked cod instead with the guardians? I know that there's water to put them out at the bottom, but if there's no water there during the AFK, you're going to get a bunch of cooked cod instead. Yeah, you you only you only get the raw cod if they don't die on fire. And my sword doesn't have fire aspect, so I'm thinking that's just something that will build up as I kill them myself. And I'm right. mainly thinking about it as both a farm that can give me a bit of extra XP if I don't want to go all the way to the end to mend my tools, and it can also be you know a looting based farm so i get more drops that way i think there's a higher chance of getting prismarine crystals that way that kind of thing so i'm not planning on afking here much um and the cooked cod all goes into a dropper clock that spits it out into cactus so any of the drops which are uh. superfluous to my needs get disposed of immediately and i've got a couple of double chests there for prismarine crystals shards and the fish but then the cooked cod and there are bonus fish actually that i this was an, an aspect of it that when i was designing the farm i thought you only got cod from killing them but it turns out if you kill them there is a bonus chance of getting a different type of fish entirely it can be another cod but it can also be a salmon or a puffer fish or a tropical fish from killing a guardian and those all get disposed of as well because again like ones and twos of salmon and tropical fish i have no real need for at that stage i remember the salmon part uh because we built our guardian farm back in 113 i guess before mm. uh before the tropical fish were a thing i think uh no wait a minute they would have come in in 113 yeah, um, I mean, you, you've been able to fish up tropical fish forever, but as far as the, the live ones, they'd have been there in the aquatic yeah. update, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, uh, they um, I, I don't think I've ever had a tropical fish or a puffer fish. We've had salmon, but I just did like the columns in our storage system. And of course, the same amount of chests for cod were there for salmon. And I've only ever used like two slots of one chest for salmon. Yeah. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. Whereas the cod gets gets filled up quite quite regularly if you're using the farm a lot um i i watched the the videos of this build coming together and um i was quite curious about your nether foliage technique and i thought well like that's going to be twofold because like well one you're going to be able to collect a lot of the the warped you know wood and 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 uh warped blocks and crimson wooden blocks if that's what you want them for something later on then you're so you're like you're solid you know later on you're kind of killing two birds with one stone but it's too bad because i i could feel that it wasn't as as straightforward and as uh time effective as using sand and and sponges you know to go uh and and clear out the monument that way um i certainly don't miss that about my guardian farm and we we didn't cl- just be clear we only emptied the inside of the monument yeah not yeah. the outside so like way way more work on, on your side and i mean it looks cool i'm looking forward to what you're going to do with the outside ring yeah uh, in terms of yeah. decoration and stuff i have a couple of ideas for that i part of me wants to do like a sort of pixel art version of um the hokusai great wave woodblock print on the outside oh, cool. of it and like kind of have yeah. that in diorama i have no idea how that would work out i'd probably have to make the walls a little taller or something but i kind of like the the idea of doing at least something inspired by that and and try and emulate that kind of illustration um but now i've at least got access to all of the prismarine which means i can make all the dark prismarine i want which is really the goal here because while prismarine and prismarine bricks are nice i don't use them as nearly as often as i use dark prismarine so i had to build a squid farm as well and i just finished doing that the other day it's all done with axolotls now which is a new approach for this update i guess it was only possible as of 117 but i didn't make a squid farm in 117 i haven't needed to at this point though I'm finding that it's a lot easier setup than 
the squid farms that I'm used to, where the whole goal is to trick the squid into falling out of water and into like fence gates or signs or something that's blocking the water so that they can fall down and die of suffocation or um, I don't know if they take full damage, I can't remember. Either way, um, yeah, my previous squid farms have all relied on that mechanic and now it works a little differently because before you'd have to dry out all of the rivers and potentially ocean if you built it in the wrong place within a 128 block radius of the farm so that the player could AFK close enough that squids would still move. And the squid AI was only really functioning if you weren't close enough to the farm, right? Um, now it turns out you can AFK further away if you kill them with axolotls because axolotls don't stop moving once you get far enough away the way that other mobs do. So if I'm standing, you know, 120 blocks above this farm, I can see all the squid suspended in the water, not moving, and the axolotls are just there chasing them down and killing them. And it's a, <laughs> oh, wow. it, it's a really interesting use of mob AI, which is a little different um, from what I'm used to. And I think it's the same that goes for stuff like slime farms, where slimes are constantly moving because their movement is all based on jumping, and they don't just stop in one place once they've jumped, right? So they're constantly pathfinding, unlike skeletons, zombies, witches, whatever other mobs, that if you look at them from a distance, if you're more than 32 blocks away, the game doesn't assign them any pathfinding to save resources. Axolotls are another one of those mobs where they are constantly in motion, and that means you can AFK much higher, which means the spawning sphere around the player only grazes the surface of this river biome that I'm building the squid farm in, and it means I need to drain much less of the surrounding river, which is good in this case because I'm building this in a jungle. It was one of the only rivers that felt like it was close enough to my base that wasn't surrounded by a ton of other, like a network of rivers or an ocean biome that I have at spawn. I, I preferred it being close to something that I'd already built up and that I was going to visit regularly. So I maybe dried it out on each side by 30 blocks from the radius of the farm, and that was really all I needed to do. Like, you don't get any other squid spawning if you're that high up in the world. As far as rates go for production, it's not quite as good as one that relies on you know, the squid falling and dying over and over again because those kill the squid much faster. Axolotls have a cooldown when they're attacking anything that isn't a hostile mob. And so once an axolotl has killed a squid, they don't seem to go after another one for a couple of minutes. So I think I need to bolster the number of axolotls in there, make sure that it's lit up properly so that the drowned don't spawn and try and kill them. And beyond that, I think it could be a pretty functional farm. So far, it's brought in like... An hour's worth of AFK brought in nine or ten stacks of ink, which is perfectly adequate wow. for what I needed at the time. So yeah. I think with a little bit more optimization, it could be a pretty effective farm. And really fun to watch, I would imagine. Oh, yeah. No, it's it's like, you know, you you, you see like fish tanks that people mm -hmm. want to just kind of like sit there and watch the fish swim around. That's, that's basically what this is. And I had my camera account monitoring it just to make sure that nothing weird was happening, that the axolotls weren't like beaching themselves or anything and, and, and dying as a result of being out of water for a long enough time. They pathfind back into water after a minute or two if they can. So they're not the problem. The squid beaching themselves is fine because I want the ink anyway. <laughs> but yeah, um, yeah for, for the most part, it's, it's just fun to watch them all swim around after each other very very cool moving on into the news this week we have minecraft java edition snapshot 22w 18a this snapshot brings in a few gameplay changes and some technical tidbits changes in 22w 18a allays now follow their liked player even if they can't see them 
LAs will only lose track of a player if they are more than 64 blocks away. The texture of the sonic boom particle has been updated, and vibration listeners such as Skulk Sensors, Skulk Shriekers, and Wardens now listen to the closest vibration instead of the first vibration in the tick. Technical changes in 22W18A. Banner patterns available on the loom can now be controlled with tags. Servers can now define different chat style formats for clients. Removed the place feature command and added the place command. The bundled Java runtime has been upgraded to 17.0.3. Removed loot table function set underscore goat underscore horn underscore sound. Added loot table function set underscore instrument. Chat from the say message, team message, and slash me commands are now also cryptographically signed. For the full details on the chat types and placement commands, uh, as well as loot tables, check out the minecraft.net article linked in our show notes. Chat types, uh, different chat style formats can now be controlled by the server through the chat type registry. The entire message can have formatting applied such as italics or a specific color, but currently not click over or hover events. Place command, this is a new command that replaces the place feature command and can place features, jigsaws, and structures at a given location. Fixed bugs of note in 22W18A. The walking animation of frogs doesn't change in relation to their movement speed, that's been fixed. Only one skulk vein drops when using a silk touch hoe on a multiple silk touch, sorry, skulk vein in a single block space. Skulk catalysts will spread skulk if a baby mob that does not drop experience dies around it. Allays leashed to a fence do not move and refuse to pick up items, that has been fixed. Ancient cities can be submerged in aquifers. A host of bug fixes for the Warden, including Warden Sonic Boom attacks can hit player even if players have entered another dimension. For the full list of bugs, again, check out the Minecraft.net article linked in our show notes. In Minecraft Bedrock Edition news, the betas for Windows are going to be retiring later this month. This was, I think, initially announced in a tweet by David J. Fries, or Fries, I'm not sure how he pronounces his last name, uh, who's the Mojang Studios release management team lead. Uh, he was over on Twitter letting people know that all of the forthcoming experimental and in-development features are going to move to Minecraft Preview exclusively, which is a separate app. There is a Minecraft Preview FAQ if you want to go and check that out. That's linked in our show notes. You can also find it at feedback.minecraft.net, and that will have more information on what Minecraft Preview is if you're unfamiliar. But basically, it's a good way of separating the beta experience from the installed Windows version of Minecraft so that you don't end up with confusion about what you can and can't do, not being able to connect to multiplayer servers, having to have, you know, uninstall and reinstall stuff and so on and so forth. It just makes things a bit of a smoother experience. So Minecraft Bedrock Edition beta and preview 1.19.0.30-31 was released this week and also clarifies that the beta will be retiring this month so we can stop saying all of these more complicated version numbers. Um, there is a bit of support for spectator mode. The team is once again reminding us that they're not accepting bug reports related to spectator mode yet since the feature is likely to change a lot during development. But spectator mode is once again added as an experimental feature in this beta slash preview. 
Um, there are also a bunch of features and bug fixes, and I'm not going to list all of them here because many of them are similar to recent Java edition fixes, even some of the ones that Joel has just read for us, such as lays on leashes no longer stopping moving when they attempt to reach an item that's too far away, ancient cities were no longer flooded with water or lava as often, the warden now prefers investigating the closest mob's position after sniffing for them, the sonic explosion particle has been updated to a new texture, and projectiles hitting wool or wool carpet don't produce vibration anymore. Again, a bunch more bug fixes and feature changes. Um, those will be available on the blog post there at feedback.minecraft.net. A few additional changes to gameplay include when in the nether, endermen, piglins, skeletons, and wither skeletons now spawn in a wider range of light levels, from light level 0 to 11. Torches can no longer be placed on bells, and they've added some achievements related to the wild update. It spreads, birthday song, with our powers combined, and sneak 100, which I presume are largely adjacent to... Uh, largely reflections of the advancements that we have in Java Edition. Uh, a boat with chest now drops a single boat with chest item when destroyed instead of splitting into its components. Mangrove roots can no longer be used as furnace fuel, and when broken, each minecart variant, chest, hopper, TNT, etc., drops itself as a single item instead of splitting into two items such as a chest and a minecart. Uh, once again, more information on this beta and preview available from feedback.minecraft.net if you want to read the remainder of the changelog. So you've got more experience with the Bedrock beta stuff than I do. Mm -hmm. uh, outside of, you know, kind of looking in, I've always just felt like it feels cumbersome difficult to get going and even more difficult to then switch back to like regular bedrock if that's what you want to go back to yes yeah uh, do you think the windows beta retiring is is a good thing or is or is that going to become more complicated for players I, I think it's a good thing because evidently it was causing enough of an issue that they've found a need to split it into a separate branch a separate app in its own right and I think that also, from what we know about Minecraft Preview, opens it up to potentially being available on more platforms. Because part of the problem with iOS before was that um, Apple didn't allow people to beta test features of an established app the same way. Like you had to be right. part of Test Pilot or whatever the thing is called on um, on on iOS, and so. Yeah, signing up for the beta became like doubly complicated depending on which platforms you were using it on at the time. Um, and I do think that for people who are actively using the beta for Windows, it was becoming a pain to switch back and forth if you visit multiplayer servers regularly that weren't attached to the, the, the beta system, you know, that weren't using experimental features and so forth. And Preview just streamlines that. It just makes sure it's something that you can launch as a separate game. It's not going to affect your regular Minecraft install. That also counts towards family accounts in your household because I know a couple of Bedrock players who've had issues where they wanted to install the beta so they could make videos about some beta features, but then their kids' accounts were suddenly on the beta and they couldn't connect to the servers they normally play on. Or it was asking them to like confirm a bunch of stuff that was going to change in their world and they didn't want to have experimental features on like the family world that they all play on. So yeah, definitely an improvement that it's all you know switching over to the preview system. I'm glad they managed to figure out a solution to that because it did seem like one of the problems that was preventing Bedrock players from getting more involved with the development process and feedback on some of those newer features. I mean a lot of what you said in the, in the news, you know, in terms of the bugs and features and things coming to to Bedrock seem like they're lining up with with Java and things that we've talked about in the snapshot already, but I I'm curious when with Nether 
you know, Endermen, Piglins, Skeletons, and Wither Skeletons spawning in a wider range now. Is that now going different again from Java, or is it aligning up with Java? I'm not certain. You know, I've not been certain about what the spawning conditions are for nether mobs since they made the changes to light level for overworld mobs. Like, I'm not certain if it's still 7 and below. I think, obviously, like, zombie piglins have always been able to spawn in a different light level, but I don't know about regular piglins. And I think a lot of the, the light level 11 thing reminds me of blazes, specifically. And so I'm not entirely certain if nether mob spawns work quite the same way as this in Java edition. I'd have to look that up, but it's um yeah, certainly going to make it a little bit more balanced in the Nether for if 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 they've required light level 0 the rest of the time considering how light the Nether can be with fire generating randomly and lava lakes and so forth, it kind of makes a lot more sense. And it's certainly going to allow Endermen to spawn more frequently in environments like warp forests too. So Right. If that's not something they're doing in Java Edition yet, they might consider it depending on what feedback they get on that from Bedrock players. Yeah, I think that it it, it certainly could be more clear at, at the very least for, for Java players what, what the new spawning rules are in the Nether. Um, it, it's obviously complicated because in the overworld, it's basically like all or nothing. Like it's either yep. zero light, no hostile mobs or light, you know, or sorry, zero light, hostile mobs. And then if you have light at all, then there's no hostile mobs. Um, I've actually found it remarkably easy to light up my towers and the, some of the nooks and crannies in my uh, Toltebray Wharf build this this week because, like, I I used a, a, a fancy overlay called Mini HUD to kind of show the the light level numbers on the mm-hmm. ground just yeah. as an experiment. I wanted to see if I could use it and how handy it would be, and it saves a lot of time rather than walking around looking at the F three screen, which I don't find as good content anyway, and. Man, was I surprised. I was just like, I had the torch in my hand. I'm ready. I know I, there's going to be a one or a two around here somewhere. Very seldom did it drop below four. Mm-hmm. And I was looking at some dark corners thinking like, this is going to be a problem. Nope, it moves fine. So uh, so yeah, it's it's something that I think would be, would be handy uh, to have a clearer, I guess, not version, but like a clearer direction of in in the nether it's more complicated in the nether obviously because like different mobs require different light levels like you said with zombie piglin and then you've got blaze that are like 11 or 12 and up um no sorry 11 and 12 and below can't remember vice versa they spawn in bright light i know that yes yeah they do yeah yeah so Um, when you're when you're lighting up a blaze spawner you need to have like glowstone every other block more or less yeah to make sure it uh it prevents spawns so it's it's tricky and uh seshi summons a bedrock player in our patron live chat um points out that potentially this could balance out mob spawns in the nether and bedrocks so that ghasts aren't the majority because i know bedrock players have had you know a plague of ghasts for quite a while and it may be that just the amount of lights blocking other stuff from spawning is me- means that there's more room in the mob cap for ghasts right. to spawn if it's all kind of centrally controlled like that. So, yeah, it would be curious to see if Bedrock players find the experience more balanced now. Unless you want gas tears, that's not fun for anybody. Mm-hmm. Absolutely not. Uh, so, uh, talking about the Java snapshot, at least, um, I guess... There's still a couple of tweaks to the Allay. This was Allays being able to follow players f- without being able to see them, which I think is a great change. I mean, like, if you you turn a couple of tight corners in your base and the the Allay that's supposed to be following you just completely loses you, that's a pain. And so their pathfinding seems to be a little improved, and the fact that they know where you are even if they can't see you is, is very good. Um, I watched Slice Lime's video on this, and he pointed out that Allays leash defense posts 
allows them to, you know, pick up stuff within the radius of the leash. And so if there's blocks falling in a specific area and you want to use an allay to um, pick those up and drop them off somewhere, that might actually be quite a good use for them to keep them relatively contained within a certain locus, you know? And and I think that seems like a, a smart use of them. Maybe a couple of people will complain about having them, like, attached to a fence post and not being able to fly around. But I think that's a, a smart thing that I hadn't considered at first glance because I think because of my previous experience, I still don't trust leashes. <laughs> um, I, I think they used to break a lot more and they're a lot more robust and they'll stand up to, like, chunks loading and unloading and stuff now. So I, I think I need to, to learn to trust those more and give that a try. And depending on your level of RP, you just have to forgive yourself for leashing the LA to a fence post. Yeah, I mean, it, it, they, they go they go from one prison to another, right? The pillagers imprison them one way, the, you know, woodland mansions and stuff, and then the, uh, the player finds them and ties them to a fence post. It's so funny how I'm just kind of like, oh, villager, get in the hole. And it's mm. like, lay, no, let's not tie you to that nasty fence post. <laughs> in, endangered axolotls, kill all these squid for me forever. Yeah, no, it's, <laughs> yeah exactly. Right. Again, the, the morality of Minecraft is something that we try not to touch on too much here because that way madness lies. But it's, uh, yeah, going to be interesting to see what players end up using them for once they have full access to them in the update. It's it's like uh, if you're cute, free pass. <laughs> like, yeah, mm-hmm. you know that's basically how it how it boils down. Um, I uh, I don't have anything really uh, constructive to add to the LA stuff. I think it all makes sense. I think they're all good changes. Sixty four blocks is great because uh, yeah. that especially with the speed increase that we think we saw last week, uh, that means that the LA can essentially keep up with the player if you're running. Like if you have to run from zombies or skeletons or or get out of dodge real quick, then at least you're not going to lose your LAs in the process which I think is 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 good. Yeah. Um, I was watching, uh, you watched Slice Slime, I watched the uh, Eximavoid video on the same thing, and uh, he was moving quick and getting far away. And they were like, it. sometimes it took a, a, a few seconds, but eventually the, the three LAs that he had following him caught up uh, over mountains, like around around valleys and stuff like that, through small holes in the in a cave. Um, similar to your, your analogy of like, you know, going around a corner in your base, uh, that kind of stuff. So that that to me is quite promising, actually. Um, I can't say I'm a big fan of the new Sonic Boom animation for the Warden's ranged attack. Uh-huh. Um, it feels a little bit sluggish to me. And I mean, it's obviously it's not released yet, so there, there could be more things happening. But I thought the previous one was lighter and felt more like, you know, what one would think of when you think of like a Sonic wave it looked more like ripples in a pond i guess yeah. is a good way to kind of kind of kind of explain it like where thinner this one, lines and stuff right like yeah it was, yeah more kind of concentric yeah. circles than this sort of more thicker spirally kind of vibe it's got going yeah this kind of has like a kind of a black hole kind of vibe to it but because of the pixel animation because it's a solid thing in the middle with solid kind of like wings coming off of it in terms of a design it doesn't feel as light or as airy um, and because it's so light in color, it feels like a thing in the air. Whereas if it was really dark, it would more feel like a void in space or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I'm sure it's not finished, finished, um, cause it doesn't have the same kind of level of detail as other, um, particle effects in the game. Um, but it, um, yeah, it, it, it feels just kind of like heavy for something that should be lighter or faster, or I don't know, it just, it's sound. It's not supposed to look <laughs> <laughs> look heavy i guess that's just my artistic kind of yeah, uh, take yeah. on it the other thing that I, that struck me funny is um and i I'd, I'd have to go back and watch the other one i don't remember whether this is true of both but it seemed to me when i was remembering the first one that it did not play all at the same time it played in sequence 
Right. Um, so yeah. the, the description was that the blast is coming from the souls in the chest of the warden. And to me, that means it should originate at the chest of the warden and then kind of shoot outward from there. Whereas this, they all the animations happen at the same time. You know, whatever the range is, five or seven blocks, all seven blocks animate at the same time, which yeah. to me just looks very odd. It doesn't have any kind of travel to it, which is, you know, completely different to what we see when we trigger a skulk sensor or when we see a skulk shrieker summon the warden. The sound vibrations from the shrieker travel upward in concentric rings. The sound vibrations from yourself or from one sh um, skulk sensor to another travel either horizontally or at an angle. Like they travel to the, the next thing that's going to detect them. You can see them go right in a line. Uh, and, and I think that to make the warden sonic boom animation consistent with the other vibration alerts in the game i think it should have some sort of travel to it as opposed to being just like this instant beam yeah yeah and i, I i'll defer to you on this one since you're the animator i mean i i was i was kind of okay with it before i'm kind of okay with it now personally and i can think of a few reasons why maybe they haven't activated it in sequence like that or, or or maybe why they've revised the animation it may be better for player visibility especially for you know partially sighted players you might end up with a few people having a hard time seeing the other one it might be a performance thing even i'm not certain exactly what the the conditions are behind this but yeah it seems like they weren't satisfied with it the first time around maybe there's still room for a couple of iterations from the art team um we'll see i i guess there's there's still potentially some feedback to be shared there so we'll we'll see what happens to it the other thing that i caught was uh i thought changing the goat horn to instrument was interesting it yeah. makes one wonder what updates might be coming down the line mm -hmm. you can almost think of like skulk sensors and vibration mechanics and the whole wild update as a groundwork for expanding sound related gameplay in minecraft oh yeah no th this update has done a lot with sound in a very very good way i mean like we've yeah we've got a musical instrument we've got two mobs and a block that react to sound or vibrations in the case of the warden and the skulk sensor we've got a new music disc we've got some new original soundtrack there are a bunch of new sounds for blocks um mostly the newer ones but i know some work is being done to go back and revise older block sounds when they can to make them more distinct from each other and all of that is great like I, i'm really excited about the sound design that's coming to the game and a lot of the way sound is being incorporated into the Minecraft world in a functional mechanical way. We've seen a couple of things that got reverted, like the changes to note blocks and so forth, but there's um, yeah, some, some interesting stuff happening with sound in the game. So I'm curious to see if they take that further. What do you say we move on to chunk mail? Absolutely. Let's do it. We've got a couple of great ones this week. Um, if you'd like to email the show, the email address is spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. Keep your questions short and sweet, and it's always nice to hear from folks in the community. Uh, this first one comes in from Redacted247, and the subject is one warden or multiple. Why not both? Hello, Pix and Joel. I was recently listening to episode 189 of the podcast, and upon hearing a comment about how there are multiple wardens, I had an idea. In my opinion, having multiple wardens in a world takes away from its status as a unique and, quite frankly, terrifying mob. 
While I understand there are practical reasons for not just having a single warden per world, I think I have a potential solution. Mojang could change the warden's death animation so that instead of falling on its side like every other mob, it could, for example, move back 5 or 10 blocks and just stare at you as if to say, you haven't seen the last of me, before retreating into the ground. Although it would mechanically work the same as killing it, this would imply that each warden you spawn is in fact the same one, and that instead of conquering it, all you have done is lived to tell the tale. This satisfies both the members of the community who want to be able to say they have defeated the warden, and also the developers who want it to be something you aren't meant to kill. What do you think of this idea? Redacted247 is sneaking through the deep dark without being spotted. For now. I think it's a decent thought you know especially given that there's already an animation of the warden retreating into the ground again if the player manages to avoid detecting uh redacted's idea would just add a front end maybe to that animation or perhaps cue a different one whatever that happens to be um and i think it kind of also contributes to our conversation last week about like killable versus not killable defeatable is different than killable Right. Mm -hmm. Like if you can if you can neutralize the warden or or ha force it to then recharge like recharge or regroup or do something, uh, it's not technically killable. Um, so if by fighting and we'll say, quote unquote, killing the warden just puts you in a gameplay loop of sending it away and having it to come back again, then there's zero incentive to fight it. Right. Mm -hmm. the, the incentive is avoid it, have it disappear and disappear for good as opposed to um, having it, you know, maybe this uh, recharges on a timer. Like maybe there's not, uh, you've defeated the warden and it will come back if you summon it again. Maybe it's you've defeated the warden and you've only got so much time before it just comes back guaranteed because you didn't avoid it. You just made it mad. <laughs> you yeah. know, I, I think there's some more interesting mechanics in there than it just kind of falling over and and dying especially if you know as we've been speculating that mojang doesn't want the players to like uh, they don't want to reward the players for engaging with the warden and fighting it because it's meant to be the gameplay is meant to be like sneak around and, and avoid it and stuff like that um i guess the question then becomes like if it does kind of skulk away pardon the pun uh then what does it drop if it still drops anything like does it leave you a present behind you know like does it still <laughs> drop a skull catalyst uh, does it reward you like, okay, you got me this time. And then like flips you a coin. Like, you know, what, what does it leave you? Does it, does it still give you experience? Like what, like what, what's the deal there? I don't know how, cause you'd have to kind of, I mean, either you make something entirely different and entirely unique, or you have to kind of like continue mechanics of the game in situations where like, you know, killing the wither or killing the dragon or like those kind of things. Like if you have experience drop or if you have a reward, then like if it's, even if it's not a great reward, even if it should be consistent therein. Right. I, I like this image of good guy warden that you're painting here where like you, you, you beat it in one-on-one -on -one combat. It flips you a, an echo shard and goes, you did good kid finger guns and then disappears. <laughs> like that's, <Finger> <laughs> that's, that's the, the image I'm getting here. Like, so I like the idea, but this retreat animation, this hypothetical retreat animation would have to be different to its usual burrowing animation when it hadn't heard the player for 60 seconds because like, it needs to convey the idea that it's actually been defeated, you know? Um, mm -hmm. I think players are right now are too conditioned to the way mob death animations work. Uh, Quote-unquote animations, you know, them just like falling over, turns red, you know, puff of smoke. Um, I think we'd have a hard time recognizing the warden as defeated if it did something else. Um, and as far as like 
actually necessity of defeating the warden it will show up on your statistics so it will say like you know player has killed the warden x number of times warden has killed the player x number of times but it's not required for achievements like monsters hunted you don't have to kill the warden for it to count towards that you know kill every mob in the game uh, advancement and I don't know if it would even be like if the warden was the first thing you defeated if that would count as monster hunter which is the first one you get for killing the first mob that you fight so i am i'm kind of curious about that part but going back to this idea the the problem this raises is there's no cooldown um at least in the current mechanics of the game if you defeat one warden you can spawn another one almost immediately and i think part of the reason for spawning multiple in the first place is on multiplayer servers you don't want to have one player whose role it is to distract the warden while everybody else goes through and really easily raids all of the chests in the ancient city like you want everybody to be independently scared of the warden and for nobody to get a free pass and while i like the idea of players teaming up to take on an ancient city it could potentially prove a little bit too cheesy and they've been against that idea for ancient city raids from the beginning so i do think it doesn't necessarily make sense for the warden to slink off defeated but then instantly be able to return for round two but it also doesn't necessarily make sense in a multiplayer context for there to just be one warden that one player could keep busy while everybody else goes around and uh, loots the house or two players on a server unbeknownst that they're both trying to get the warden at the same time and you know player a summons the warden and then player b is running around the deep dark going like how come i can't summon the warden <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> like, yeah how uh, yeah. is this so easy because you realize it's somewhere else on the server right that's the other thing yeah one per world is you know it, it, it's it's kind of difficult to uh to to make sure that that doesn't affect other people's gameplay elsewhere and if it's just one per area, then they've already defined the area. It's like a 64 block radius from where the Warden was first summoned, I think. So th there's there's potential for stuff like that. There is potential for it to feel like a very solo experience. And I think most players, while you probably want to keep the Warden at a distance, you also want to keep sight lines to it to make sure that it disappears when it does, unless you get really used to hearing the audio cues. So I don't know for certain if any player is going to trigger two wardens at once by accident at least until they get more confident exploring the cities and understanding what the warden is capable of yeah i mean it's a neat idea but it just it's it it kind of illustrates just how difficult i think the warden is to balance and yes i imagine i imagine the number of spaghetti noodles that are up against the wall at mojang are numerous in terms of you know where they started and where they ended up with with the warden yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, we've seen a few of the developers, uh, especially King B-Dogs, talking about the changes that have happened since the 117 concept for the Warden in kind of response to a few vocal players in the community saying, you know, this update doesn't feel like it has new content because we've known about the Warden and the Deep Dark for a while. And saying, like, the amount of work that has gone into this as an experience, not just the Warden's AI and its behavior and its attacks and how much health it has and that stuff, but the shaping of it all into a horror experience within minecraft's underground is really worth the wait like it's 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 been a lot of work and a lot of balancing has gone into all of this stuff and so it's it's needed this amount of development time this amount of spaghetti thrown at the wall for it to really work out next email comes in from solid rock carter hard to find easy to farm again Hey, Pixel of the Rifts variety and Joel of the Duggan type. I was listening to the previous episode, 148, 
hard to find, easy to farm, where Rancher sent an email about things in caves and cliffs that were hard to find and easy to farm. You mentioned doing some episodes again after 118 was released. As 118 has been around for about five months now, I was wondering, how do you feel things are like now? Personally, I still find calcite pretty valuable, hard to find, but impossible to farm. Solid Rock Carter left the game. Wait, no, the mailbox. <laughs> there it is. Um, so yeah, I, I went back and looked at the show notes for this episode because I had to refresh my memory about this discussion and I really should have left a calendar reminder or something to go back to this concept because we did say we should probably talk about this once we have lush caves in the game so we can have access to moss without going to find a shipwreck and all of that kind of stuff. So it's, um, yeah, it's worth a discussion now. Um, are you are you using calcite very much? Because personally, I'm not yet, although I think I just haven't found the right build for it at the moment. So I've used it, but I've not used it in something like a castle. I've used it in like nine by 12 houses. Uh, and sure. even then it's yeah. like, it's in between log support. So like it's, and mixed with like concrete powder. So like I'm using a dozen, three dozen blocks at a time. Uh, and I found a massive geode near the modern city that I turned into a, a amethyst farm. And in the process of doing that, I stripped all the calcite, all the amethyst blocks, and all of the smooth basalt blocks out of that. And because I've not built anything super large of one particular type of block, uh, I've just been using smooth basalt and calcite and a couple of the other blocks more sparingly. I've certainly gone through a lot of moss, but I built a monster moss farm. Uh, so that was the easy to farm thing that I use a lot of because with landscaping and grass, like you just go through so much moss mm -hmm. um, as, as you go around. Um, I think for me that that I just haven't run into a use case where I'm starting to exhaust my calcite. I don't have a lot. I've got like maybe three stacks. You know, I might have twice that much smooth basalt so like if all i need to do is build something really bright white like a tall tower which i think is probably coming you know in my current section of of, of westell i think i'm probably going to dip into my my calcite i might have to go find another geode or i think now i can see if i can find them on a mountaintop somewhere depending on you know what what veins i might find um and then as far as smooth basalt goes like i'd have to probably either start using it an awful lot in roofs or switch and try to make something really evil looking mm -hmm. um if i return to my my uh, deep dark uh, not deep dark that's a bad example if i return to the deep nether uh blackstone cave build that i was doing smooth basalt might be something i try to work into that at which point i would also go through more of it so i might have to look up more of a, uh, a way to get my hands on that um the things that I've noted that have been more painful um, that I want to use more of are things like rooted dirt. I uh -huh. find that a real pain to get. Uh, and and especially if you want to use a lot of it. So I've been using it pretty sparingly, which is how I want to use it right now. But I can see if I, if I went into like a happier, you know, like a more fantasy setting, maybe you're making like a little mushroom village or something where you want the dirt to be brighter and less, you know, muddy, then, then I can see wanting more of that. And, um, getting a lot of rooted dirt is a real pain i i really think there should be a crafting recipe for it um in the same way that like once you have rooted dirt and you've got some bone meal you can get roots like you can get roots no problem um but it's the rooted dirt that i think is is uh the hard thing to come by now in terms of like other things like copper and copper veins i really haven't done any mining 
this is where being on a on a server as late as long lived as the citadel kind of comes in handy is that like i haven't really had to go digging for things so i haven't come across a lot of geodes i haven't come across a lot of um or any copper veins for that matter um but i know that you've got some hard data on uh things like copper and iron specifically like iron veins versus an iron farm from your experience on the minecraft survival guide yeah um i went fortune mining in a huge iron vein timed it against my iron farm and i got more from the huge iron vein than i did from the iron farm i think i got maybe like one and a half times the output of a single cell iron farm so producing an iron golem every 35 seconds um and obviously an iron farm is going to be better in the long term because it runs while you do everything else but those huge iron veins are fun to mine and they're still a pretty decent source of iron if you find one in the early game so i think those are making iron more easy to find as long as you're okay with easy to find being below deep slate level i think a lot of people were concerned about the availability of iron because of ore distribution changing and iron not being as common in surface level caves so that you could have a full set of iron armor before you go mining and so forth but that's what mountains are for and so there's a bit of give and take there in terms of gameplay style that people needed to adjust to um I think I still haven't run out of copper from the huge vein I mined, but then again, I haven't been doing as much with copper as I did in 117 when it was relatively new. Um, but yeah, outside of that, I was thinking about the rooted dirt thing, and it may be, again, a symptom of you playing on a server that's an established world and maybe not having explored the newer terrain as frequently, but have you considered looking for natural azalea trees in order to obtain rooted dirt and just like dig out the foundations of one of those trees? I haven't gone that far yet. Uh, we haven't uh, looked for a lot of 118 stuff. We have a 118 zone on the Citadel, but we all went and looked around. And then I promptly went back to working on West Hill because it, it's not finished. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I'm resisting the temptation of getting into like a lush cave build where I'm just like, I'm going to want to spend all my time here because it's all new and shiny. Right. Um, and uh, and I haven't gone that far. Uh, I have uh, made the mental note. And I think even our... Uh, our tree farm back at the Dartmouth Meadows has been switched from an oak tree farm to a azalea tree farm because of course you get, you know, the oak wood, um, but then you get new uh, leaf blocks, two different types of leaf blocks. And of course you get the rooted dirt at the bottom. Yeah. Uh, I think the height requirements though are different on azalea trees than regular oak trees. Cause I, we've got these little um, caps on the tree farm that keep the oaks from being the big ones, like the ones that yeah. are really a pain in the butt to chop down and i think it's preventing the azaleas from growing so i need to i need to look at see what their their requirements are um but um but yeah i i haven't gone and done any like you know clearing out azalea stuff or um for small drip leaf same thing i haven't gone through because the one lush cave that i've found i haven't wanted to just dismantle it because it's very pretty you know mm -hmm. uh so i haven't we haven't found any like 118 areas that we've designated as like dismantle like just don't no one build here just go and just you know harvest stuff that you need yeah what one of our patrons shared a screenshot in uh the discord this week saying i've been lush caving can you tell and it was basically a large chest almost completely full of small drip leaf <laughs> just nice. like stacks of the stuff and i was like imagine that in 117 that would have been you know ridiculous amounts of trading with the wandering trader um so yeah i i'm, I'm quite happy that small drip leaf is easy to get hold of now but the problem with that i find is that now that 
it's been in the game for a little while and all of my aspirations with small drip leaf have been put to one side in favor of exploring terrain and stuff I don't find myself compelled to work with small drip leaf anymore, perhaps because it's easily accessible, you know? It's like, it's it's weirdly done that flip between, oh, this is rare, so I want to get hold of it and use it, to, oh, this is, you know, ten a penny and I don't need to bother with it anymore. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm kind of curious to hear if anybody else out there is building more frequently with uh, stuff like small drip leaf now. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm kind of... I'm kind of the same. Like, I, I wouldn't go out necessarily to track down azalea trees just to get rooted dirt, and I've started farming oak trees, uh, oak wood rather, using azalea saplings because that gets me more consistent height trees so that, I, yeah, you don't have to put blockers at the top of the farm to make sure that they don't grow massively tall. And, yeah, again, the leaves are really nice and the rooted dirt you get from that is adequate for my needs right now. Um, I don't know if I would go and obtain it block by block from, you know, uh, the roots of a naturally spawned azalea tree because those are finite. And while I think you can get more than a stack of rooted dirt that way relatively quickly, I still prefer renewable methods for a lot of this stuff anyway. Um, which is where calcite obviously becomes a bit of a problem because you can find huge veins of it and geodes of it, but it's still not renewable. And while it's, I think it's easy enough to find once you have an elytra, You've just got to fly around long enough that you find one of the stony peaks biomes. Um, I would I would probably find the block more valuable if it had stair and slab variants. And I also don't want to tear out an entire sort of cross section of a mountain to get that many blocks. But then again, if I'm not building anywhere near those mountains, I'm probably not going to see them again for a while. So I'm I'm not certain if I really need to care that much about them. Yeah, and I find the the texture on calcite very repetitive. Like if you created a lot of it in a row together you start to see like the circles repeat um yeah it's very different than like cobblestone or something like um andesite or granite where it's the same texture and it's repeated but you just don't get the same pattern um and i feel like for example deep slate is one of those patterns that uh, uh like cobblestone doesn't feel super super repetitive when you put a bunch of it next to each other, but then calcite really does feel like a, a bit of a mosaic. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't, I don't tend to use a lot of it. And for the wandering trader in the drip leaf stuff, I've actually had the opposite experience. Uh, I found that drip leaf was such a pain in the butt to get from the wandering trader that I've kind of put it out of my, I don't want to like, I don't want to build with it. It's such yeah, a pain. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm trying, and I have to remind myself, Oh wait, that's not hard to get anymore. I should build with that more often. And when I've used it in, in some of the final little landscaping bits around the little fishing village low town that I did a few weeks ago, like it looks really good. It, it really kind of adds some variation to what you would have had to use lily pads for before. And uh, I, I think it looks great, but it's just like, I have to remember to go get some, you know, like once I have a stack, it's fine. It's not like I'm going to be using tons and tons of it. Right. Um, yeah. But I think the advantage of it, um, technically also is that like if you make a large drip leaf doesn't that grow or do they only grow when they're bone mealed uh you can you can grow large drip leaf with bone meal but i think they stay at the height that they are grown to right. basically once you're yeah. like once you get one in there and it turns like once you've got a, a large drip leaf if you leave it alone it's not going to just keep on growing to the ceiling yeah like the, like a vine <laughs> does right then then other people's like parkour courses and stuff are using them would be uh, a little right. bit difficult at that point yeah so no I, I think it's a a static thing once it's grown to a certain height cool um because like i said like the the small drip leaf is just one of those nice things that you can put around that really adds a lot of variety to 
you know, the foliage and stuff that you have in your, in your world. So um, it's on my radar, but like, I just, I have not gone and like, I haven't taken a shulker box and just gone out and got like all kinds of 118 stuff and then just come back with and be like, good, I'm set for the next little while. I have an extra thing in my, my inventory. And I'm embarrassed to say that like, as much as we, you know, complain about wanting new blocks, new block variants, they're blocks that I forget are in the game. Like yeah. there's just straight up like um, smooth basalt. Oh yeah, that's a thing. You know, like I, a couple couple of months ago, I had to build a roof and I was like, what's a good gray roof block? Oh, how about the smooth basalt stuff that I have a ton of that I completely forgot in the shulker box, you mm-hmm. know? Uh, so it's, you have to kind of stay on top of what the different textures are that you can use. For sure. Um, so speaking of that and speaking of the, the, the building side of things, we wanted to dive into a building based topic this week talking about the appeal of really big projects, especially now that people who've just started Worlds with the most recent update have now had about six months in 1.18 and are probably starting to think about some of their larger projects if they're playing regularly. Uh, So, Joel, you brought this topic and you wanted to talk about the appeal of really big projects, the benefits, the drawbacks, challenges, and uh, whether or not these things are technically speaking, quote-unquote, mega bases. Uh, So why don't you kick us off? Well, and... To start right there, you know, thinking about mega bases, like I feel like we kind of have to maybe define that a little bit because I don't consider West Hill a mega base. It's not my base. It's huge. It's a big build, but it's a big build made up of a lot of small things. You mm-hmm. know, like it's it's a city. Whereas I feel like if I was to if someone was to say Joel right now define mega base in Minecraft, um, I feel like it tends to be one structure might have a lot of rooms inside but from an exterior view it feels like one giant structure maybe with a couple of smaller supporting things around but it's mostly like something really large usually very geometric at least that's what i'm seeing a lot of when i do some google searching and whatnot and uh it seems to be like this is also like the central hub of where this person is doing everything in minecraft Mm -hmm. like that's where their storage is that's where their bed is that's where you know all their farms are like all that kind of stuff all happens in in one place unless they're purely aesthetic like i guess they can be both um but i find that the whole mega base thing is is thrown around a lot and uh i i feel like in part, it's probably because of like, you know, searchability and, and just like familiar terms so people know what you're talking about. But I also find I in some of the circles that I watch, I'm feeling there's a bit of a pushback. You know, like when people say mega base, they've kind of got air quotes around it or they're kind of like the forked tongue is sharp. Uh, they're kind of, you know, they want to have like, this is where I'm living. Like this is where I'm building right now. This is not my mega base. This is just my next project. Yeah. And um, I've definitely corrected people on on stream when they ask, you know, like, is the Citadel my mega base? It's like, no, it's just it's the it's you know, not the Citadel, the, the West Hill. Like, no, it's it's my current project. Like, it's it's a whole other thing. And we don't even really refer to our main builds on the Citadel as our bases. Alistair refers to his project as Avalon. Uh, Somerville is where Cosmic spends all of her time. I'm usually in West Hill. I have I have less of a one main area. I have more of a like a several areas that I go to. Um, but I still don't have a name. I mean, I fell into this very early and and I'm guilty of it. I don't have anything else to call my swamp base other than my swamp base because it is when people ask about it, it's the clearest way to communicate what it is, right in Minecraft. And um, I I think the broader discussion though, to not dwell on this too much, is like large builds, things that are going to take you a long, long time, whether they are something like a town or a city that's going to take a lot of mini builds, a lot of street planning, a lot of 
landscaping to do, uh, or if it's just one giant thing, like think pyramid or huge castle or terraforming a biome, like whatever it is that you're doing that is just absolutely monstrous in Minecraft, you know, what are the things that are appealing in that? And for me, it's, it's three major things. Uh, the feeling of accomplishment uh, in making headway, even completing a huge project in Minecraft. Like there is a feather in my cap that I get when I finish something rather large and, and I get quite pleased with myself. Uh, early on in my, my Minecraft playing days, it was a dangerous path because I got the same satisfaction and feeling of accomplishment from doing stuff like that in Minecraft that I did from like normal adult things. Mm -hmm. And at the end of your day, you're just like, I did a lot today. And you're like, whoa, whoa, no, I didn't. <laughs> I did a lot in Minecraft today. <laughs> but I still have a lot of things to do as a responsible adult that I need to get to. Uh, so I found it was very interesting to be aware that Minecraft scratches that itch. Um, and that of course is reinforced by the respect and often, you know, awe or accolades that you get from other players when they come in and they see your screenshots or your video or your stream of this huge project. They're like, Whoa, this is awesome. How long have you been working on this? And it spurs discussion and you find common ground, I think with them. And I think that's really appealing as well. And while it can sometimes feel overwhelming, I really enjoy a good design challenge. It's no accident that I majored in drawing design in school. Um, and I also think that Minecraft in particular, there are some good lessons in letting go of things that don't work out because you've got these limits with blocks and stairs and like things that don't do the things that you want them to. Uh, and, or leaning into happy accidents. Like, you know, I had a build this past week where the door on one level happened to open up right at the right level of a staircase inside of a tower. And I thought I am making an entrance here. <laughs> like I mm -hmm. did not plan this, but it is just too happy an accident that this worked out just the way that it should. Uh, I'm lucky because <laughs> if it didn't, I kind of would have been agitated and I would have had to like walk away from that. Like, well, I was going to make an entrance there, but now I can't because this other build is working and I don't want to redo it or I don't want to undo it. Um, one thing I do find a little bit tedious uh, about the um, the challenge of building tall, specifically tall buildings, is the constant up and down that you have to do while constructing, and always having to back up a ways to see how it looks. Yeah, uh, it's essential. I know it's part of the process. It's part of my artistic process when I'm working on something in a, as an art piece. I, I tend to like zoom out, look at it as a whole. Don't get caught up in drawing a nostril when you really need to make sure that the face is looking right. All that kind of stuff. Um, but it just gets repetitive as gameplay in Minecraft. And when you just want to keep building and you have to spend what's really only seconds, but it feels like an awful lot of time flying down to the ground, looking back up. Yeah, that's fine. Then getting back up, landing where you started and trying to remember what you had to change. Cause like once you're a meter away from something massive and you're trying to figure out, okay, well I saw a mistake, but where is it? <laughs> once, once you're up close to it, there are some challenges like that. Um, but I do enjoy it. And when you overcome those challenges, that's like a big checkbox for me. It's like, yes, okay, I did it. It looks good. Um, and I really enjoy not having to come up with a brand new idea every time I build something in Minecraft. Uh, like every other stream, if I had to come up with something wildly new, I would be just like exhausted creatively. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, so to have something like uh, West Hill, which is obviously the example I'm going to be using a lot in this discussion, to just know I don't have to think about what I'm doing next. I just have to think about what the next step is in this large build. 
And, you know, like I decided to start the west side of West Hill and I need to start doing wireframing and roof lines. That was eight streams of yeah. just just that, you mm-hmm. know, because it's a big area. And and it, it was but it, it the payoff is that now as I'm feeling things in, as we discussed earlier today, it's really starting to feel cohesive and it's starting to give me a sense of accomplishment. And I've not done much. Like I've just put wireframes up and I've got two thirds of the way through a stone wharf build. Like it's really starting to to come together for me. And that's when I start to get excited about these big builds because when they're done, they just look so darn cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to know that you or that you and your team, depending on whether you're doing it with friends, have accomplished this, I think is just such a great you know, lean back experience. I'm just like, yeah, we did that. Minecraft doesn't do any of this. We had to place every block. We had to do every interior. We had to do all these things. You know, it's all the hard work that's put into it. Um, but because Minecraft is so creative, it's fun for people that, you know, enjoy that kind of stuff. And I think that um, having that kind of laid back uh, approach because I don't rush it. Uh, I do get a little bit frustrated sometimes when I don't accomplish a lot in a single stream. Like I feel like I've been playing and I've been working and I've been sorting out problems for three hours, but I've got very little visual to show for it right now. I've just been honing things. And it's like that honing process of a drawing before you put on the final polish, which is like the shadows and the highlights and the fancy glow effects and stuff like that, that make everybody go, wow, that looks really cool. But sorting out the problems before you get to that level is important, but I do find it's like a weird stall. I'm not sure if you've experienced that when you're doing Mm -hmm. big builds. You just get this point where like, you just want to make it look shiny, but you know you have to take the time to make sure that all the walls are the right size and that all the blocks that you've selected are going to work together. And then it works with whatever it's butting up against if you've got other, you know, towers or things that are happening. Um, And I feel like I can get away with it on a regular basis because by nature, I am a very patient person, uh, maybe to a fault. Uh, I don't find that that same patience would say be average in the Minecraft community. And uh, I feel like there might be some valuable lessons for people to try a large build, to commit to doing it uh, and keeping a a regular pace at it, because I think you'll learn some patience uh, and I think you'll enjoy it more if you don't rush it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a challenge. Everything like that, it becomes a challenge and it's a different type of challenge than just come up with a creative build. It's come up with something that you can pace yourself through and just keep chipping away at. And yeah, it's it's a it can be a very zen activity in the same way that people often just like to log into Minecraft and dig holes you know like they mine out a large area whether it's with a beacon or not and they do that for the relaxation of it if you find a build that you can relax into and just something that you kind of casually work on then it's a lot harder to get burnt out than somebody who's trying to rush through everything and make sure that everything gets done a certain way by a certain time and yeah like with with a certain level of detail especially um i i really think the minecraft world is huge and it was huge before terrain changes in 1.18 but it feels even bigger now that the scale of the world and the terrain has changed a little bit so we naturally want to leave our mark on it i I think sometimes you just got to show the world who's boss and (laughs) um you know sometimes the world even gives us big structures to scale our ideas up with like you start out looking at villages and all of the houses are relatively small they've got like you know three by three interiors and you think oh okay i can do better than this and then you go and find an ocean monument or you go and find a woodland mansion 
and you, there's vast amounts of stuff. Like, just taking down an ocean monument this week has left me with so much prismarine. You know, it all fits into three or four double chests, but it's that's without the foundation and the pillars and stuff holding it up. And it's, it's huge amounts of blocks. And so that has gone into a structure that the world has naturally generated. You start to feel like you want to compete with that a little bit. Um, so I think a lot of the time the world inspires us, especially now there are mountains and taller hills and that kind of thing. You want to have something that is visible from a distance, that feels like a landmark, and more and more that becomes something that is larger than your starter house. I think honestly with the density of some of the terrain, especially in forests and so forth, a lot of the time you want to build something that you can actually even see above the tree line or whatever. And so that encourages people to push themselves creatively and push themselves building-wise to build bigger and bigger stuff. There is also this factor where sometimes player scale just doesn't cut it. You and I have talked about this in the past about how we like to keep things in player scale if it, you know, the player is two meters tall, then a room's going to be a certain size, a doorway's going to be a certain size, and going larger than that has to have some sort of purpose. It's either because this stuff would feel this grand in the real world or because, you know, the the area is large enough that it has to be used for storage, for other things, that kind of stuff. But if you're trying to emulate real world architecture, sometimes the right materials for builds like that don't always have the sub-block variants you need to build with enough detail, so your solution is often to double the scale. If it doesn't have slabs, then you just got to build it with blocks and have other blocks in between, you know? Like, you, you've got you've to up the ratio a little bit. And I think that's something that people are interested in once they get into the material side of Minecraft. They think, you know, what what's going to... Where can I compromise in some areas on what I'm building? And if you want to build something that looks like it's built out of, yeah, calcite or smooth basalt or some of the blocks we were talking about earlier that don't have convenient stonecutter recipes then you're going to need to consider the scale of that stuff. And if you want to have a calcite slab, that's going to have to be represented by a block, and then the rest of the scale is just going to be twice as large. It's also really tough to build convincing geometric shapes at a smaller scale. Like, if, if you've ever tried building, like, a hexagon in Minecraft, <laughs> and you just think, this looks like a wonky circle, you know, this looks like I don't know how to draw, um, you, you can just about get away with, you know, three by three squares and five wide circles, but... Yeah, good luck building any more complex shapes. Even triangles and stuff like that become kind of difficult at a certain scale. So um, I think a lot of the time if you want to branch out and do something that feels more geometrically interesting and has, whether it's architectural stuff or if it's just like you want to have a big hexagon cut out of an ocean somewhere, you're going to need to scale that up for it to look at all convincing. I think there's that missing scale too. Like you can do the player scale doors and you can do player scale stuff. But then if you want to build a door that's twice as high, you have to figure out how to do like, you know, doors and trap doors, or you have to figure out how to make that look like a door and not just an archway yeah. with the blocks that are available to you until you get to a scale where having a one meter thick door makes sense. And then you've got a massive door that looks really cool, but it's far larger than the player. And so that means that it's like it's a door to a mine or a gateway or some special, you know, amazingly huge build. But I, I feel like there's that missing scale that I, I find really challenging. And I know I know what you mean, because like in the modern city, you know, like how many times do I want concrete stairs and slabs? Right. Because, yeah, uh, you know, you're building these 
smooth surfaces out of things, even roads, like even building a big road and you have to start to go up by blocks, like your block choices have to start like, all right, well, it looks like everything that's going to be this gray concrete has to be flat. And I can sort of maybe get away with going up a hill if it's a really shallow gradient. But if it's a steep hill, it's going to look really strange going up in one meter chunks. And that's where I would switch and maybe have that road be paved slightly differently in a block that has slabs, you know, and stairs available to me so that I could make it look a little bit, a little bit different. Um, and I mean, and it's not too unrealistic. Sometimes you can get away with that. I, I know that there are a number of on ramps and off ramps on my highways here in the province that are different concrete than, than the asphalt road, right. For, for technical purposes, like, you know, like freezes at different temperatures and things like that. Um, but it looks different and it's not so unnatural to have like roads be different types and different colors of, of concrete. So it, it sort of works unless it makes your eye twitch, you know, in your, in your build. But, um, I find it interesting that, you know, you mentioned like the world being so huge and want to leave your mark on it. I feel like there's this natural progression in Minecraft of building something from a hole in the cave survival, kind of like I got, you know, my little nine by nine room and all my stuff in it to like, okay, let's just build something else. that's a little bit larger, a little bit more functional. And then something just grabs you, whether it's something you see someone else do, whether it's landscape, especially in 118 now, where you just think, oh my gosh, like this valley would be an amazing place for like a Asian Pacific inspired, you know, palace or something massive. Uh, and then you just, once that idea hits you, you just, you just kind of have to try it. You know, I feel like there's just that itch to like completely change the game uh, yeah. in, in a way that you just know that like if you build something of roughly the size of a of a woodland mansion, then it's like, okay, well, I did it, but Minecraft can also do it. But you know what Minecraft can't do? Snake Mountain, you know, mm -hmm, or yeah. you know, or um, you know, your your ocean, um, your ocean monument farm, like th th those kind of things. I mean, farms are different, I guess. Do you do you find that farms kind of fit in your brain in a different category compared to like just purely aesthetic builds compared to like redstone or or farming mechanics? Definitely, yeah. Like it, it's it's a different school of thought at that point, and the technical stuff is the focus, right? You're not necessarily right. thinking about it in terms of the aesthetic spectacle in the same way that Megabase is really about that. It's much more about the the technical stuff and what it's capable of in terms of generating items for you or, or whatever. Like that's where all of the the spectacle comes in, um, and I think a lot of it comes down to projects in Minecraft also being driven by community interest. And if you're not inspired by just looking at the Minecraft terrain and thinking, I want to build something big there, you probably see other people making huge builds. The builders amongst us want to follow suit with that and either follow a trend or kind of do your own take on something. And I guess for content creators, going back to the Megabase definition, it's mostly just about being able to put something eye-catching in the title and thumbnail. And, and that's where the Megabase thing kind of kicks off. But I think the thing that often sets stuff like that apart is that it's one giant structure rather than being something like what you're working on, like a town or a city build. Um, and f people have made enormous cities in survival, but you don't necessarily think of them as bases in the same sense. So exactly what you were saying earlier, if it's, if it's not necessarily a place that has all of the function of this is where I store my items and maybe where I farm some stuff and this is my hub from which I go out and do all of the other projects, then... It feels a little bit different. It's got a different vibe to it in the same way that farms do when, you know, this is just the place I get my prismarine, regardless of how 
impressive the outside of it looks or whatever this is still something that i come to for function more than more than anything else but i think yeah the community can be a source of inspiration if the terrain isn't really where it what gets you going like if, if you see somebody else building a massive structure you more more often than not think yeah i could do that or wow that's really beyond me but then you start to weigh it up and you think maybe that's something to consider for the future maybe that's something to start laying the foundations for now and working on over time i think that it will certainly add a lot to your to-do list depending on how early you are in a world uh, we have the advantage of being a nearly five-year-old server so if i decided to start to build something large unless one of the blocks i want to use is something i just don't have then i've got a lot of work ahead of me but for the most part i could get going certainly start planning things out because i've got lots of netherrack and stone so like if i wanted to start planning out a massive build i could absolutely just start that process uh, and then work in the you know the farming of whatever blocks like say i needed a lot of prismarine or something and, and i could i'd have to go make another guardian farm i could work that guardian farm into taking breaks from planning out the big the big project um but i feel that uh if you're looking for something to do and you're kind of up against the well, like, you know, I've done all the basic, like my player needs have been met and I'm now in the creative f like phase of my Minecraft world. And you don't have like a, a super old world by planning out a, a, a huge project. Then you start to drill back down. It's like, okay, well, that's what I want to do. And that's what I wanted to look like. But boy, do I need a lot of calcite or mm -hmm. maybe I need a lot of, you know, snow, like wh whatever it is that you need you can then start to figure out, okay, well, what other projects are going to make this big project a lot easier on me? And there'll be a little bit of, of, of work up front, you know, whether that's a cobblestone generator or a basalt generator, or like, you know, you have to figure out where you're going to get all the gold or you're going to need a beacon, you know, probably if you have to dig a lot. So it starts to kind of like add up in terms of like the number of tasks that you have to do to support that big build. And that just leads to more big gameplay and more fun. Yeah, and I, I think that's really the reason to do most of the stuff that I do in terms of farms is just like acquire resources so I can build something big with it so that I can have a reason to go out and grab all of these resources and bring them all back to a central project or, or something along those lines. But there are still, as we said, drawbacks and challenges to a lot of this stuff. And I think working on a single build or a single project for months or even years in some cases can be really fatiguing if you don't pace yourself like it's it's very easy to burn out and i think that's where it's kind of fun to seed those technical projects in here and there to give yourself a bit of space from the mega build and go back to doing something a little bit more fun like i, I expect that it was like that for you having a couple of weeks to work on flower farms for cosmic you were you know able to step away from the the west hill build and it felt like oh here's something i can do that isn't medieval building for another three hours on a weekend right oh absolutely yeah design burnout is 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 real for me um and surprisingly linked to color because i like i like what i'm doing in west hill and I, I i definitely think about it when i'm not playing but there are definitely times when i kind of like oh man i am just kind of like really artistically struggling with more gray and brown today. yeah mm -hmm. Uh, and, and it's one of the reasons why I wanted that the this new west side of the town to be more fancy because it's going to allow me to use more colors in the roofs and the buildings and decorations and things like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's three different reasons that I did the flower farm for Cosmic. I mean, it is a completely different function, right? Uh, it's a farm. It's a redstone project. 
uh, it is uh, not for me. Like it has to be integrated into, you know, someone else's area. And I went out of my way. I mean, at Cosmic's request to make it as colorful and as loud as possible. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like most of it's underground, so it's not really seen. So there's no really worry to, for it to be clashing with things. But like the redstone is laid out on red glazed and pink glazed terracotta and yellow <laughs> like it's just it's noisy in, yep. in a fun fabulous way like don't get me wrong it was a great deal of fun to work on and and everything was also straight lines like it's just like it's a tube or it's a redstone contraption or it's just it's a it's a collection system and water you know waterways and it it, it definitely scratches a different side creatively and it um scratches a different itch from like a reasoning side of your brain like you go from like visual problem solving to technical problem solving it's a different side you know of what you have to think about and uh i i really really enjoy exploring the different game mechanics and things like that before i go back to like building on on um west hill same thing with last summer when 117 came out and i knew that i wanted to use moss and knew that we could technically bone meal it fairly quickly by hand. I'm just like, I need to use this a lot. And I don't want to have to stop what I'm doing every 30 minutes while landscaping to bone meal more moss. That to me feels like it interrupts my my creative flow. And I don't feel mm -hmm. like it's the, a, a good kind of stream, really. Um, so I built a moss farm. That moss farm took me six weeks. I thought yeah. it was a lot shorter. I went back to look and I was like, oh my gosh, no, that was most of June mm -hmm. <laughs> to, to, mm -hmm. build, to build this moss farm. Because just like anything else, once I'm done with a technical build, I have to make it look good. Um, but that also was very freeing because that in the area back in the, the spawn area in the server, everything is kind of like log flume, stained glass. It's like Minecraft modern tech, but like it's if it's, as if steampunk was a thing in Minecraft, in, in in a natural way in the world it's like minecraft tech right like it's just things just work the way that they work there's no explanation you don't have to make them look like they have a reason for working this is just a minecraft moss farm and we just have to look at make it look shiny and cool and mm -hmm. so having that release was was great you know from from west hill definitely um there are ways around burnout but i don't know how well i mean we talk about it all the time if you're having minecraft burnout then play it something different or do something different but in yeah. terms of like in-game projects, when you want to play Minecraft, but you're kind of done on the project you are right now, or you're stuck on it, then doing something wildly different is definitely a, a way to break through that. I feel like the inverse can also be true, though. Like, if you don't have much time to play Minecraft each month, the scale of Megabase-era projects oh, yeah. can feel like it's outside of your grasp. Or you, you feel like you can only work on those projects when you sit down to play for that, like, one night a week you've got. And yep. I think that's another way it's important to pace yourself and maybe like scale back some of your ambitions until you're able to complete one module of something larger, right? I, I think it's it's really worth planning it out in phases that feel achievable to you with the time that you have instead of aspiring to the kind of stuff that people do if they're full-time Minecraft players effectively. I think it's it's definitely worth working with the, the scale of things a little bit to just not bite off more than you can chew because you don't want to turn Minecraft into an experience you dread because you feel like you have to work on something. Like, never feel obliged to do that stuff, but treat it as a fun challenge and a fun way to unwind, and I think you'll get a lot more out of it as a result. I have that issue when someone asks, like, you know, what are you going to do when you finish West Hill? And I'm just kind of like, well, one, 
that's a 2023 conversation. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. Because, like, I mean, knowing how long it's taken me to do two thirds of the town and knowing that I have a third left, like, yeah, this is, I'll be lucky if I finish it this year because I'm very likely going to be taking some breaks, you know, throughout the summer. Um, not like from streaming, but on different projects. Yeah. And uh, the, the other things that I've had in my head, like, oh, wow, like a dwarven city would be really cool. And an elven city that's all like white with like lots of color and water and fountains everywhere. And I just think like, both of these ideas are like two years. Like they're both projects that will take me forever. So I need to like do them, but not right now. Like not immediately after West Hill. I feel like I have to come up with some other cool ideas that might be big or might be, you know, slightly time intensive. Because I mean, let's face it. I don't think I do anything on the Citadel that doesn't take me four weeks of streams, um, <laughs> which is fine. It's great. I mean, I like, it's one of the things I like about Minecraft is the pace. Um, or I guess the fact that you can set your own pace. Um, but yeah, like I, I definitely need to think about what I want to do in between. That is not another massive build, uh, because otherwise I will just be, I, I feel like I would then be, I don't want to say burnt out. It's more like, um, like you mentioned, you feel obligated. If I started a big elven city, I would feel like that would be what I had to work on most of the time, you know, whereas if I just kind of give myself free reign um, after I'm done with West Hill, then, um, I think a lot more creative, creative stuff would come out of it, including doing things like, oh, I don't know, playing with my server mates. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't seem to do very much. I feel like you need to build like a modern house hermitage in the woods somewhere and just have it be like one build. It feels nice and cozy mm -hmm. and like you've got all of your comfortable stuff there. I feel like that's the the way to do it. But like you said, like to, to bring this full circle almost, uh, completing something on that scale tr feels truly spectacular. I remember some of the stuff I was doing in Survival Guide Season 1 with like the mountain projects and stuff like that. Like that's so cool when you place the final block and you go, I am done. And that's, you know, three months worth of my life that's kind of paid off in a big way. Um, and large builds, I think, always end up unique. That's the main thing I take away from it is that like there are tutorials out there for starter houses. People's starter houses are typically just the materials you can scavenge from around you and something that, you know, you can put on a roof to make sure the spiders don't get in your walls and that kind of thing. But you can't realistically copy somebody else's mega mega base kind of style thing block for block. Like even if you're getting inspiration from something you saw online, it so often leads to you putting your own spin on it. And I think that may be one last thing that we find appealing about the idea of these huge projects is that they feel uniquely ours in such a way that, you know, you, you don't have an instruction booklet for that kind of thing. It's it's all just coming from you. Um, and so if you folks out there want to share some of your mega bases with us, then please do feel free to write in. It's always exciting to hear some of this stuff. And we might even hear some stuff like that in our monthly Minecraft audio hangout later on this month. So looking forward to one of those. In the meantime, that wraps up another episode of The Spawn Chunks. You can find more information about the show and links to some of the stuff that we've talked about today at thespawnchunks.com. The music for the show is composed by me, and The Spawn Chunks is proud to be a listener-supported podcast. If you're getting some value out of the show, why not consider putting some value back in? You can visit patreon.com slash thespawnchunks to join our community, where pledging at any level will get you an invite to our patrons-only Discord chat, and you can listen in live as we record the show each week, along with a bunch of other Patreon benefits besides. We currently have 339 patrons, which is up three from last week, but of course there is always room for more. Special thanks go out to our content engineers, Hunter555, Jumbo Sale, and Yitz for your support on this episode.
Sharing the podcast with your friends is the easiest way to support the show. You can find us at The Spawn Chunks on Twitter and Instagram. Personal recommendations are by far the best way to share the podcast. It's free. Just poke a friend in the arm from a safe distance and tell them to listen to The Spawn Chunks on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, really wherever you can find a podcast, as well as YouTube, if that's where you like to hang your podcast hat. You can email the show at spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. The RSS feed is linked on thespawnchunks.com. And the patron-only RSS feed is on the Patreon page, where you can listen to the Render Distance, the extended version of the podcast. My name is Johnny, but online I go by Pixlriffs. You can find most of what I do at youtube.com slash Pixlriffs, where I try to make sense of this bizarre and wonderful game in Season 2 of the Minecraft Survival Guide. I also stream three days a week on Twitch, where I do behind-the-scenes work for the aforementioned YouTube series, and I'm also the voice of the unofficial Hermitcraft recap, which you can find through a quick YouTube search. Aside from that, I'm at Pixlriffs on both Twitter and Instagram. Joel, where can people find you online? Everything I am doing online, including my illustration and design portfolio, is at joelduggan.com. You can listen to The Citadel Cafe, my other podcast about sci-fi and fantasy entertainment at thecitadelcafe.com. Coming up this week, Alistair and I are going to be talking about Star Trek. Not one, not two, possibly three different shows that are coming out of Star Trek right now. Uh, and if you want to follow me on social media, it's Joel Duggan across the board, including Twitch, where I stream Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Thanks for visiting the Spawn Chunks. The world outside is infinite, and all your base are belong to it. Mm-hmm.